Another episode of Do We Like Movies? <laughs> Do we like movies? Uh, my name's Angel and I am your host. I'm Javi and I am the far more handsome host, but less of a fatherly host. This is our second episode of the podcast. Haters said we wouldn't be able to do it. We <laughs> proved them wrong. Um, we released our first episode last week, which was a kind of off-the-cuff discussion on Halloween. Uh, what did you think of the first episode of the show? We've been podcasting. We podcasted enough. Well, we did like three months. We did a podcast, a wrestling podcast for three months. So, so you know, like as I'm listening back to the Halloween episode, and I'm listening to our other episodes too. Like, definitely, it's it's my own self critique. I know that I fall back on a lot of phrases, and I fall back on a lot of like just really weird speech patterns. I felt that that I need to work on that, and that's my own personal thing. That being said, I felt that that was a really good episode, and I felt like it was a really way to strong... I mean, I'm also super biased, because I was the co-host on that episode, <laughs> but I think we did a great job. I think you know your shit. God damn, you're so smart. It's it's sexy. <laughs> right. No, but you know, like, it, it was cool, because I, me personally, I'm a huge fan of podcasts that have that off-the-cuff approach, where it's more of a conversation... And less of a people reading off of the script. Thanks again for everyone that downloaded or streamed it. Again, if you want to listen to the... I was about to say watch. If you want to listen to the first episode, we're on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify under Do We Like Movies? What have you been watching this week? This week, I've been watching on Netflix a Spanish television show called Diablero. What's that about? Diablero. Uh, It's really weird to... Like, the best way I can describe it is um, Supernatural in Mexico minus the fan fiction <laughs> is kind of the best way to put it, you know, because it, it, it's really cool. So it's about this priest in Mexico City, um, and there's these kids that are being kidnapped. So he's trying to get help from the church. The church doesn't want to give him help. He goes to the police. The police don't want to help him. Eventually, a nurse tells him to call her brother, who is a diablero, which is a demon hunter. Or demonologist? Or just No, like, it's a demon oh, hunter. Like, the okay. guy is straight up, like, um, the guy is straight up, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like, has a bunch of weapons all over on him and stuff. And yeah, so it's not, it's not, um, I know when you, when you first think of the name, especially when you literally translate, uh, Diabletto to English is like you said, uh, demonologist, but no, it's, it's, it's more demon hunter. So he's, and it's really funny because the guy is a total like burnout. Like imagine, uh, what kind of character can I compare him to? The main character's name is Elvis. And he's just this total scumbag, but he's like a fun kind of scumbag, you know? Like, he's one of those lovable loser type characters. Bruce Campbell? Yes, thank you. <laughs> Ash and Evil Dead? <laughs> he was Ash and the Evil Dead. He's Army of Darkness Ash, because even the first two Evil Deads, he's a guy kind of figuring it out. But yeah, that's a good way of putting it, is he's totally Bruce Campbell. And 
it's just him helping this priest trying to find the kids that have been kidnapped. And they, the, it's really good at world building. One of the one of my favorite characters on the show, hopefully not giving too much spoilers, is actually this character named Nancy. And she's introduced as like this kid that needed uh, Elvis's help. And she, because she kept getting possessed. So she would get possessed by these demons and Elvis would exercise the demons, but then she would get possessed again. And they found out that she had a bunch of, like, she was a magnet for demons. Like, demons would just find her and they would possess her body. So, instead of trying to keep getting rid of these demons, Elvis trains Nancy to use the demons to be able to fight against other demons. So, using her music, he starts, like, tr teaching her how to exercise the demons and summon the demons herself. And it leads to this really radical, like arc where they go down into a demon fight club where people get possessed and then they'll fight using those demons and like there's this weird currency that's exchanged and every demon that's hunted and exercised has a certain worth and a certain classification and if you can sell it to people so that people can use them in this weird pseudo criminal underworld and the best part about it is they like you know angel and i are both latin angel married into a mexican family imagine one of your wife's cousins from like mexico you know talking all what what's the word fresa her well, bourgeois like if you're talking in english that that's what that's what people would say in spanish about someone who's very bourgeois yeah but you know he's more like naco so it's more like he's pretending <laughs> to be bougie that's true yeah. so anyone that's like the best way to like to kind of to flexing, explain it when you're flexing way yeah, too hard yeah when you're flexing way too hard you know when you hear someone say orale like that's kind of the stereotypical way this guy talks but it's really funny uh it's it's um dubbed in English and you can watch it with subtitles so depending on what your preference is it's pretty cool to be able to watch a show in a different language and understand it I do recommend it for especially uh for my Spanish speaking folks if you're an English speaker and you just like watching horror stuff like especially horror with like a side of goofiness or kind of a more of a lighthearted um horror it's definitely I recommend it and you know, it definitely there's a lot of violence if you like if you're like me and you like violence and fighting and stuff like that. So I recommend it. I'm about three episodes in. Um, yeah, I'm probably gonna be talking about it for the next couple of days. Cool. Um, for me, I just finished uh, a couple of weeks ago. I finished uh, season one of Titans, which mm. is the premiere show on the DC Universe uh, DC Street DC Comics streaming app. And uh, I know we were both watching it, and we both finished it at this point. And man, you know, uh, I watch all the, I still watch all the DC comic shows on CW and stuff like that, like Arrow, The Flash, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, and Supergirl. Which you know, it's funny. Like those shows, I feel like out of all those shows on CW, there's always one show that kind of takes the, that kind of like is the star show, while the other ones are kind of floundering around. And lately, it's been like. Season 5, it was Arrow that was mm -hmm. really good for that season. And then now, like, last year, uh, I think it was Flash that was probably the best show that was on on CW. Mm -hmm. this, show, this year, it's actually Supergirl. 
Supergirl is the one that's that's kind of like stood a little bit up, and uh, Titans obviously I think is better than all of those shows. Uh, Greg Berlanti is, uh, you know, he's no longer the showrunner for uh, for Arrow, and he's gone on to this project for Titans, which is kind of like a, it's just a live action adaptation of the Teen Titans cartoon uh, and comic. Uh, it includes Robin, uh, Raven, Starfire, and uh, Beast Boy. Woo! Um, and the entire first season is really interesting. It's a it's an interesting show because not only is it setting up, you know, uh, it's kind of doing the Marvel thing where it's not just setting up its own story, but it's also opening up the universe. Mm-hmm. So that's why you get like Hawk and Dove in the show, and and they had a ep- they had like some episodes dedicated to them. And then there were some episodes that were fully dedicated to Doom Patrol, you know, and uh, it's 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 a pretty interesting show. Um, and their season finale, which was like the Batman versus Robin uh, storyline, which mm-hmm. I'm not going to spoil for anybody at all, uh, it was pretty good. And um, I'm really looking forward to where they're going to go because they ended the first season on a cliffhanger. Um, the second thing I've been watching as well is... Uh, Young Justice, which, Woo. which I know you like, act like I really wouldn't be into anything like that. But actually, you know, <laughs> I discovered Young Justice on Netflix years ago. No, you're and, a fake fan, dude. Stop lying. <laughs> and it was a show that was so good, um, and you know, kind of disappeared off the face of the planet. And I know a lot of fans on the internet, much like people who love the original Teen Titans cartoon, like it's one of those shows that people have really just wanted to come back. Do you know why it fell off the face of the planet? No. So, toy sales. It all came down to that. Oh, wow. So, it was really weird because Young Justice was very... It was weird for execs because Young Justice became very popular among, like, the teenage girl demographic. Okay. And executives figured that little girls wouldn't buy superhero action figures. So, they just decided to shit-can the show. That really sucks. It does. It really sucks. Cause, and, but the funny thing is, I mean, if you watch the show, like it really is a show that feels like it caters to a bit of an older audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is very reminiscent of Batman the Animated Series in that way. In that, like, you know, kids can watch it and, and get whatever enjoyment that they want out of it. And if adults watch it, there are certain storylines that just, you know, it goes over kids' heads and adult the adults can understand it and stuff. And... Right away, this uh, third season of Young Justice on DC streaming, which is uh, called Outsiders, which, you know, features the DC Outsiders, Um, it's pretty, it's dark compared to the first couple seasons uh, of the show, because now, like, they don't have to deal with, you know, the the, uh, censorship that you get when you put something on television, and uh, it's a pretty interesting storyline, um... A lot of it is, the, uh, I'm not going to get too far into it, because I've only seen the first three episodes. Only the first three episodes have been released so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but the storyline is kind of surrounding this crazy human trafficking uh, thing that's happening, where uh, you know teenage metahumans are being kidnapped, and they're being used to, like, they, they morph them into monsters, and, and, you know, they have them, like, kind of turn evil and stuff like that and it's just it's very allegorical you know (laughs) and uh it's just one of those storylines that you really couldn't get away with on television and i'm really looking forward to continuing watching those uh those episodes of that show it's very yeah you're right it is very allegorical not just about the human trafficking ring but also 
uh, I want to. I can't really get into it because of spoilers, especially with the first three episodes. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of the manipulation of kind of like government and the ma- manipulation of media as well that goes on, which is very kind of like a reality that we're dealing with right oh, yeah. now. And it's it's definitely a pro- it's a show that's a product of its time. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to see where the rest of this season goes. But I'm glad you like it, especially with how much of a fake fan you are and how much you don't like <laughs> Injustice. You know, couldn't even name Metamorpho. That pissed me off. <laughs> um, if you so, if you're asking me like what I've watched that's not uh, cartoon superhero related, <laughs> um, I've also the last thing I watched this week as well was. Um, I was in the mood to watch a 90s teen movie, and I ended up watching two of them. <laughs> I watched uh, She's All That and Can't Hardly Wait. <gasps> and I was just like, man, this is just like... There is so much cheese in like 90s teen movies. Yeah. Where like they feel almost even more cartoonish than 80s teen movies to me. Like, <laughs> it's just... It's so ridiculous. And, you know, uh, Can't Hardly Wait has always been one of my favorites because... Every teen movie uh, from the 80s or 90s, one of the things that it features in it always, no matter what, is like a party scene, right? Yeah. And Can't Hardly Wait is unique in that the entire movie takes place at a party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is that the one with Freddie Prince Jr.? Uh, no, Freddie Prince Jr. and she's all that. Okay, cool, yeah, cool. Yeah. That's the one where they try to, where they make the bet about making yep. the nerdy girl hot, right? Yeah, and Paul Walker was in that one, too. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> I forgot he wasn't. Why movie. did you laugh? I forgot he was in that movie. Because <laughs> he, he was the asshole, right? Yeah, he was, he was. And that's why I'm used to him being like, what was it in, uh, I think it was Varsity Blues, where he was like the quarterback that got injured, and then he ends up being the coach while still being a student and a quarterback. Like, he's still, I'm used to him being the nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I was like, you know, I laugh because he's an asshole in that movie. Um, so yeah, and then Can't Hardly Wait is like, you know, it's, it's it was really, <laughs> it's kind of a funny movie where the main character like obsesses over a girl for all four years that he's in high school and that he wants to kind of finally tell her how she, how he feels like, you know, um, like the night before he goes away to, to like a college program that he's going to be going to and, and it's just, you know, it's, it's funny and it's interesting to watch, but there's like certain aspects of it where you're like yeah you couldn't make a movie like this oh today. no there's some there's some really weird stuff that happens and well have you seen that npr interview where people were asking uh jonah hill whether it was okay for him to make a movie like uh super bad now oh because nice. he made yeah so he made a line where or you know there's that line in the movie where uh i think emma stone no not emma stone sorry where jonah hill was like Oh yeah, we can you know we can get you know when a girl gets drunk and then she's like oh man I shouldn't have slept that with that guy that was such a mistake we could be those mistakes mm-hmm. and I guess someone from NPR asked Jonah Hill in an interview and was like uh, do you think you can get away with that now and he's like no no absolutely <laughs> like, not like you can't get away with stuff from ten just, years just ago. stuff from a decade ago yeah yeah like, like, like besides besides the movies that I've been watching like. You know, I watch a lot of Office reruns and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and The Office is just one of my favorite shows of all time. 
And it's, you know, they've, they asked Steven, Steve Carell about it if he ever wanted to come back and do a reunion. He's like, nah, he's like, because we couldn't get away with what we did mm-hmm. back then. And it's like, yeah, that's totally right. You can't get away <laughs> with really what you did not. 10 years ago. You can't yeah. get away with what you did 20 years ago. You definitely can't get away with what you did 30 years ago. Yeah. We're talking about, what's his name from, was it 16 Candles? Young Do- Duck Dong? Long Duck Dong. Long Duck Dong. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you, you try playing a character like that in a movie now. Holy shit. Well, just like it, it, like you know, like all sorts of movies, like yeah. older movies, like Touch of Evil, which is like considered an Orson Welles masterpiece, yeah. which has Charlton Heston playing a fucking Mexican, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no! Shit, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. I would really want us to discuss that movie one day because I really, it is probably considered one of the better movies of all time. Alright, I'm down. And then also, then if you also watch like Breakfast at Tiffany's and stuff like that, there's a, there's an absolutely racist like Mm -hmm. uh, character there played by Mickey Rooney. Man. It's just people are so sensitive now. (laughs) But um, yeah, I guess we can go ahead and get into, you know, what this week's episode is about and, uh, you know, this week's episode is about a movie that is kind of very popular right now. Um, it came out through word of mouth, and because it's been distributed through Netflix, everyone has been able to see it. Right? Oh, yeah. And, and, of course, we're talking about Bird Box. Bird Box! And um, one of the funny things about this movie is that a lot of the major advertising of it, like, really came through memes. Yeah. Like, people started watching it, and uh, then they started posting about it on Twitter, and a ton of memes come up. Of the movie, which includes that, you know, now famous picture of Sandra Bullock with the, you know, the blindfold over her face. (laughs) With all sorts of, like, you know, funny captions under it. And, uh, it's, you know, I I was kind of avoiding it for a very long time. When things get too popular like that, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, there's something that really turns you off about it. But then at the same time, like, I also sometimes just jump on the hype machine. Because I know, like, I know Netflix, like, not long ago, they uh, had that movie, Veronica, which was, like, a yeah. demon possession movie. And the only reason why I watched it is because I saw on Twitter that a ton of people were talking about how they, I couldn't get through it. And I, you know, somewhere mm-hmm. in the middle, like, I had to stop watching because it was too scary. And, you know, it, I, we're a sucker for that now. <laughs> and I mean, that's the whole reason I watched uh, Haunting a Hill House was because people kept talking about how terrifying it was. So I had to go see what all these scared babbies were talking about. <laughs> but, I mean, you and I are shitlords like that. We, we There's weird hypes we don't jump on, and there's weird hypes we do. And, yeah, like, this is one of those movies, like, I can't really, you know, there's not much experience here. Like, it was just same as you. I just started, I hopped on Facebook one day and started seeing a bunch of these memes blow up. I'm like, what the hell? And then I remember seeing it on Netflix and being like, oh, I'll get to it. And then, you know, a couple days pass, and I see it again, and I'm like, eh. I'll get to it. Because, you know, that's the thing. Like, I'll put something on my watch list on Netflix, and it'll literally stay there for months before <laughs> I even touch it. Yeah. But then, you know, we started doing this project, and I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm want, I should watch it because I feel like we can't just do our favorite movies. Yeah. <laughs> we got to watch something that comes up every once in a while. We got to ride those hypes. Yeah. So, so it's like, if, if, if I wasn't doing this podcast, I'd probably had zero interest in... Uh, in reviewing this movie, but, um, you know, because I wanted, we, we knew we wanted to do a show on it because it's so topical, uh, we went ahead and, and, and gave it a watch, and, you know, to be honest, like, after having seen the movie, I didn't think it was bad, you know, I thought it was pretty good, um, 
I'm not crazy about it, and I and I think one of the and I'll and I'll kind of get into it once we really start discussing the movie mm-hmm. itself. There's certain parts of it where it's I don't know. To me, it just doesn't feel unique, right? Yeah, that like was that's my the that's vibe. the biggest problem that I have with it is that to me the movie feels like other movies I've seen before, and I will get into it as we really start discussing it. But the movie centers around uh, Sandra Bullock's character, who uh, at the beginning of the film is uh, trying to escape with two children. And, uh, you know, she has them blindfolded, and they're, you know, hopping on a boat, and they're going to start, like, you know, rowing away into, you know, down a river somewhere. And, uh you really don't know where they are and you really don't know who they are and you really don't know anything about mm-hmm. them. So what the movie does is it starts with that scene and then it starts going kind of backwards and doing flashbacks to what things were like, you know, before the apocalypse happened, which, you know, we've seen in many shows before, right? So th- it's weird because the timeline, it takes a little bit to figure out because the timeline I don't think really fully establishes itself to the last quarter last third of the movie maybe mm-hmm. and that's because there's present which technically would be the end and then there's the past five years ago because i don't know if you know but the movie's actually based on a book the same name called bird box mm. and the, what they refer to as the whole apocalypse as the problem so that's okay. what they refer to it in, in the book so there's five years when the problem first started and then there's the journey that you know on the river that takes us to the very end of the movie. So the, it's weird because the the time skips. You know, the, you have one that's all the way in the beginning when this movie starts, but then it starts in the middle. Uh, yeah, it starts in the middle, like in Medias Rest, where we're plowing our way to the end of the movie now. Um, so, it takes a little bit, it took me a little bit to kind of establish the movie, but then again, I also was kind of like farting around while watching the movie, so I think that's why I was having a little bit of harder, harder, uh, chan- or harder time understanding what was going on. Have you ever heard of the director, Suzanne Beyer? No, uh, not off the top of my head, I, I don't yeah, recognize that name. I don't think I would blame you. So, <laughs> she, <laughs> so her thing is, she's the Swedish director, directed a bunch of Swedish crap. And then put out we lo- what we lost in the fire. No. Things we lost in the fire. And it was a movie with like Halle Berry and Benicio Del Toro back in like 08. Yeah. You know, like I don't. <laughs> can't, say, can't say I've heard of it. I can't say I've heard of any of her movies. So already right off the bat, I'm feeling kind of weird about this movie. But what did make me feel a little bit better was the screenplay was written by Eric Heiserer. And that's just me name dropping. But some of the movies he did write the screenplay for included The Thing, 2011. Nightmare on Elm Street, 2010. <laughs> Final Destination 5, from also 2011. <laughs> but a movie that actually I enjoyed and we watched together was Lights Out, that James Wan movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So even if I felt that the first three movies were wet farts of films <laughs> well, I'm, I'll, I'll say this uh you know have you watched the 2011 thing with mary elizabeth winstead yet i did watch it i wasn't a huge fan of it though no, it's it's it, it wasn't like i said it wasn't that yeah. bad of a wet fart i think what's really interesting is that right now we're going through a bit of a period where 
you know, like what we discussed last week when we talked about Halloween, where people are now going back to old properties, but they want to remind you about all the things that you loved about the original, mm-hmm. you know, and they're not, and, and I feel like in the late 2000s, early 2010s, horror remakes or reboots were much more interested in telling the story in a different way mm-hmm. and kind of moving away from some of those things. So Rob Zombie's Halloween, mm-hmm. uh, this 2010 Nightmare on Elm Street, which... Man, God, did I want to watch... I, God, did I want to love that movie so bad, right? Like, Jackie <laughs> Earl Haley was great. I loved him in Watchmen. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is the guy from Watchmen, and he's going to play Freddy Krueger. And, you know, he was a, ped- a, sex of- a pedophile sex offender in the movie Little Children, which is like a, you know, a smaller scale movie that had Patrick Wilson and... Um, yeah, Kate Winslet and Patrick Wilson were in that movie as well, and and that movie's it's really good. I, mm-hmm. I you know I always really liked it, and I was like, God, I was like, this Nightmare on Elm Street's gonna fucking rock, and and it's just, it did not. No, it didn't. And... It did not rock. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know. we did enjoy Lights Out. Lights Out was a very different concept. So at the very least, when I saw that this guy wrote that, I was like, Oh, this movie still has a chance. And like I said, I don't want to like shit on the movie. No. But this guy also <coughs> wrote screenplays. Sorry, I'm like dying. He wrote screenplays for telling stories in a different way. And Bird Box are like three or four familiar stories told in a different way. Just all together. So, sorry, I just wanted to drop that. Kind of a weird point to drop that in. But like you were saying, so after we, you know, we get introduced in the middle of this stuff, Sandra Bullock with these little kids cuts to, if I remember correctly, her in the hospital. Sandra Bullock is in the on the hospital. She's pregnant and she's there with her sister. Yes. So she's having a sonogram done so that she can see her little baby girl and the entire well, yeah, actually, I think her sister keeps is insisting that uh, she's having a baby girl, which. Um, her sister, played by Sarah Paulson, for those that watch American Horror Story, everyone know anyone that watches that show knows she's a great actress. Between Sandra Bullock, um, Sarah Paulson, John Malkovich, uh, oh, crap, what was his name? Dude that you were telling me in Moonlight. Trevante Rhodes. Trevante Rhodes. Uh, the friend from Get Out, Little Rev. Oh, Little Rel. Thank you, Little yeah. Rel. This movie has some talent, and then it has MGK, yeah. but we'll get there. <laughs> so, yeah, so, um, you know, as we continue throughout the movie, they start noticing that there's reports coming in of people in committing mass suicides all through Europe. And can I tell you what this reminds me of? This is the first part of this where this doesn't feel like something I haven't seen before. And I, the the first thing that I thought about when we were watching this p- portion of it is, you know, I don't know if you've seen the Hulu show, uh, Handmaid's Tale, no, which is based on yet. the Margaret, Margaret Atwood uh, novel from, I think it was like 1985 is when it was written, and starts Elizabeth Moss, and um, I think what, what I fucking, I love that show. I mm-hmm. love that show. It is easily one of the best shows that has come out on television in 20 years. Oh, like, really? It is very dark and it is super grim and it is if funny enough like <laughs> my wife and i discovered it while she was pregnant <laughs> so oh, what a great time to watch that show <laughs> so like you know there's there's parts of the movie where you know it's it's just it you're watching stuff in a world that you just don't want to be in 
you know and uh what handmaid's tale does is it tell it shows you what the country that they live in is like in the present and then it also shows you flashbacks of what happened before the united states becomes you know what it becomes in handmaid's tale mm-hmm. which is a republic of gilead which is you know in 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 that show it's about a fundamentalist christian group that that somehow you know starts taking over government and they eventually end up you know dethroning the american government that exists and they turn you know and and this world is like a very puritanical new england world that they live in where everything is dark and cloudy all the time and and that's what the that's what the present feels like in this movie Mm -hmm. and a lot of the scenes where they go back in time and and show you how things started are very much like that and but that show does it in such a way and i think it's you know, we talk about a product of the time that it's coming out. I, I cannot recommend it enough for anybody who's listening. Like, you know, it's it, when I read that book in high school, which is the first time I saw Handmaid's Tale, <laughs> Nerd. it felt like something that you could never imagine ever happening in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's, 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 pure, it's pure science fiction, mm-hmm. fantasy, you know, and the way they present it in, in such a modern way and the, just, you know, the the government that we have that, you know, in the country that we're living in and stuff like now. And mm-hmm. right now, we are not far away from this. <laughs> and that is, like, what that show, like, tells you and tells you, like, so hard. And, you know, what I do like about Bird Box is that it, it, it at least tries to give you that that kind of, you know, this could happen in your world, gritty reality of it as mm-hmm. much as possible. Um, but yeah, again, it, my only knock on it is it just doesn't feel original to me. And I think that part, that little thing that it's happening other places in the world kind of lends itself, given the the global political thing, you know, movement we got going on. Like right now, everyone's talking about, well, not, maybe not right now, let's say in the last three weeks. People were talking about the Yellow Vest movement and how it's slowly making its way from France over here to the U.S., right? So, you know, it adds that that extra layer of, of realism, of movements and stuff. Because, you know, you're talking about mass suicides. Yeah. And as the movie continues, like, maybe within the next two, three minutes, when Sarah Paulson and, um, well, I should remember their names. Well, it's fine. <laughs> when Mallory, who is Sandra Bullock in this movie. Yeah. Uh, when Sandra Bullock and Sarah Paulson are walking down the, the, the hallway, you see this woman starting to kill herself. Yeah. But the way she does it is what was very creepy and unsettling about it was the fact that she wasn't like, she was making eye contact with people while ramming her head against glass. Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to, talking to my girlfriend about that and she was just like, it, it was something unnerving about watching someone not break eye contact while physically harming themselves. That, you know, makes you feel just, and yeah, I felt that way too. No, and you know what? You bring up a really interesting point where you talk about um, the kind of global aspect of it. Because the other thing I was thinking about um, while watching that and just seeing how disinterested and kind of disengaged uh, Mallory was, it totally reminds me of, 
you know, we hear of all sorts of atrocities that happen in other parts of the world, mm-hmm. and we're so in, we're so unaffected by it because it's not a because it's not something that we're dealing with and mm-hmm. seeing on a day to day basis and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's just like is one of those reminders. And this is what I did love about that movie. Mm-hmm. It's just something that simple reminds you of just like how you won't think about like what the end of the world is going to be like until it comes to your front door and you have to end up dealing with it. And I think she even mentioned something like that. Because I think there's a part where her sister is like, it tells Mallory like, oh, there's something crazy going on in Europe. And Mallory just like kind of like brushes it off and says, oh, you know, oh, they're dealing with their own thing. We got our own stuff to worry about. So that's actually a really good observation. I hadn't thought about that. So as more of this stuff is going on, uh, they as they leave the hospital, they notice things aren't right. That there's sirens, that there's car crashes, there's a lot of panic going on. So they start talking about what do they need to do that they need to get out of the city, right? So as they're driving, this is the first time we get a glimpse of the effects, uh, you know, of what is going on. So uh, Mallory's sister, she's the one driving. Uh, Mallory in the passenger seat, she looks up, she sees something. We don't know what it is. Us as an audience have no idea, but suddenly her eyes change. And that effect, they use that a lot in this movie, is really cool. How their eyes just kind of get all brown and decayed looking, kind yeah. of. like. And then she says somebody's name, I think? Or she said something that I couldn't really make out. And then she ends up swerving into the back of a car. The whole car flips. And then when Sandra Bullock... You know, manages to get out of the car. Her sister gets out of the car. There's just chaos. People are just... You know, you see people beating the crap out of each other. People killing themselves. And then as she's trying to get up, Mallory looks around and she sees her sister already at her feet. And then she just walks calmly, calmly walks into into the, the path of an oncoming garbage truck and just gets destroyed. And, uh, I don't want to imagine going out like that. That was gnarly. So, Mallory's leaving. She gets caught up in this panic crowd as she's coming around. And then, she, she ends up getting dropped by the crowd in front of this house. And she's falling, she tries to get up, she gets pushed over, she keeps falling. And eventually... That's when we meet John Malkovich's character, who I believe is named Douglas. Mm-hmm. So that's when we meet Douglas and his wife also looking it up, but pretending to keep it going. Ah, well, it doesn't matter because she's only in it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So John Malkovich's character, uh, Douglas and his wife, are they own this home or it's... Assume they own this home, right? Uh, His wife comes running down to the sidewalk to help Mallory get to her feet and help her into the house. But suddenly this woman looks in the sky, same thing as earlier as Mallory's uh, sister. And same thing. You see her eyes, and then she calls out for a loved one's name. I want to say it was her mom? I don't remember. I think so. Yeah, it might oh, have been. She she called out for somebody. It was like a relative, yeah. Yeah, it was like a relative. And then she walks into this burning car and just sits there and becomes like emulated, just catches fire. All in front of her husband. And that part broke my heart. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely... It, it's it, Again, it's just... This movie 
operate and exist in a world that you don't really want to live in. Yeah. And uh, I think that's what makes it kind of hard to get into sometimes yeah. as well. Um, but after this is when we get to second, you know, thing where I'm like, okay, this is not original. I've seen this before. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea of being barricaded inside a house yeah. with a group of other characters and... This cannot be like by accident. I, 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 I refuse to believe it's by accident that the that the quote unquote real leader of the house that's there when you get there is uh, tr- is Tom, which is played by uh, Travante Rhodes from Moonlight, mm-hmm. and um, he's basically like he he seems like the alpha leader of everyone in the house. He's like what's his name, Dwayne from uh, yeah from Wa- he is, uh, well not Ben Dead. Ben. Ben. Yeah, so he he is Ben from Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead. And um and yeah, and, and yeah. <laughs> even and even John Malkovich, like who is the bald, angry Curmudgeon. old man who like would rather let everyone die and just protect himself as much as possible. Like that is straight out of Night of the Living Dead. Uh, yeah, at this point is you do your your ragtag group of survivors trying to survive. You know, you have I forgot what her name is, but you have the the cadet played by uh, the police cadet played by uh by Rosa Salazar Lucy there we go yeah which the only thing that I don't like about this character is that I don't feel like this character gets a whole lot to do oh yeah yeah and she's... she kind of like exits the movie really right away in a way where like okay well that makes no sense but fine and then MGK's in this movie the the <laughs> the most talented rapper turned actor i've ever seen yeah he said line through his teeth <laughs> yeah like he same thing mgk's in there but is he really there you know yeah but like, i mean like i don't think the guy has a ton of charisma and he just kind of you know i actually like didn't even realize it was him right away like that's no how, yeah that's how, <laughs> that's, how that's how easy it is to just like not know who that is like or just not care about that character and, you can point at any white guy from on on my Facebook or not on my Facebook, but on, from a random Facebook or Twitter, and tell me that's MGK, and I, be- <laughs> I believe you. Like. Yeah, he's just got a very like non. There's there's something very plain about the way he looks that you know he could literally be anybody, and um, just like Spider Man. And I think the other thing too that I, that I just can't get into is I don't know. It's like the, the entire movie. I don't think that Mallory is. I don't like her as a character. There's something too cold and ineffectual about her. And maybe that's a problem that I have as a viewer and maybe other people who have seen this movie and come from it from a completely different perspective mm-hmm. probably look at her and will have a lot of, like... Maybe they'll have a lot of... Um, they can relate to her. Maybe. Yeah, like, she'll, maybe she's more relatable to an audience who's not me. Is what I'm saying. What I do like about Mallory as a character, and I, it's here in the house... With this ragtag group of survivors, where she kind of establishes herself, her 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 character, right? Where she can be nurturing when she wants to, she can, but she for the most part she's just cold and trying to survive. Mm-hmm. But what I do like is that they don't have her being helpless and being useless. You know, like they had that scene where I think it was John Malkovich, uh, Douglas had the he had the shotgun, right, mm-hmm. and. I think it was when that other survivor came in, or somebody came in, right? And she grabbed the shotgun and had it ready, 
And then John Malkovich jokes, oh, hey, you know, be careful. Don't don't accidentally shoot somebody. Or do you even know how to use that thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he makes a joke about oh, yeah. that. And then she just racks, like, a bunch of shells out and then, like, gives it back to him empty. And she goes, now, like, something like, now it won't hurt anybody or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I like the fact that she's, <clears throat> she already has a lot of the skills ne- needed to survive in this new world. I agree. So that part was cool. And I think maybe that's what they were going with this character. Maybe you're not supposed to like her because the world she's going to survive in, you're not going to like. Maybe, yeah. So maybe you need someone you don't like to survive in that type of environment, you know? Yeah. Uh, John Malkovich's character, after watching it a couple times, I really started feeling for him, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I Like, you know, he's, he's someone who's... You know, I mean, obviously he's dealing with the death of his wife, right? Or, yeah. or, or his it loved his, one. And, it was his wife. I and, um, and I don't know, but to me it's just like, it feels like he just brushed it off way too easily. He did. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it feels like it becomes such a non-problem so quickly. Uh, like, oh, I felt like, <laughs> yeah, like I felt like it broke Little Rail's heart, like, even more to have the guy that he worked with at the grocery store, like fish hands. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like I feel like his emotion towards fish hands was way more than John Malkovich's towards his own wife. <laughs> oh God, yeah, that. So at this point in the movies, where I was started kind of checking out because, like you were yeah. saying, at every we've seen this before, but interspersed is where we start getting. But uh, interspersed, we get bits of what's going on in the present, right? Yeah. And then comes one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I love that canoe scene where where we get our first sight of what they later call in the movie as the insane. And this guy starts calling over. So, so Luda, let me set up the scene first. So, uh, Sandra Bullock has the boy and the girl from the beginning in this canoe. And there's fog. It's misty. Like, you can't really see what's going on. And then you hear a guy, like he's on the shore of the of the, of the riverbank, and he's calling over to him, saying that he's got supplies and he can help them. And then Sandra Bullock's like yelling, "No, we don't need help." And then I don't even remember hearing him like walking in the water, but you know, mind you, they're blindfolded. On, on the river, they're blindfolded. Like, it feels like they're completely just, like, sitting ducks, right? And then this guy grabs Sandra Bullock, and she starts trying to fight off. The kids are, like, freaking out. And then she ends up, like, s- like stabbing him with a machete in the neck. And I was like, oh, God! Yeah. yeah. And the creepiest thing is not that this guy, like, doesn't react to it, is he starts singing. Yeah. And I was like, it's so creepy. But the reason why I love this movie is because I'm a huge fan of survival horror games and kind of just like survival games in general. It reminded me so much of a scene from The Last of Us, if you ever played that game. I have not, but I have seen people talk about it online that it totally reminds them of The Last of Us. Okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one because I got total vibes from The Last of Us just from that scene specifically. And... Yeah, that was that was hands down. I was like, oh god, this movie. I was like, this is gonna be cool. And then it, I mean, uh, <laughs> that excitement, that hype I had, kind of died off and tapered off later. But then that I think that takes us into the into the the uh, supermarket scene, right? Yeah. Which 
Okay, so the supermarket, getting to the supermarket, that was something interesting. Like, I thought yeah. that part was cool. No, and, and even before that, just when they're still in the boat, and uh, Sandra Bullock protects the kids from this guy who's trying to scare on the boat, I will admit, this is the first scene in the movie where I kind of start to like her now. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, she is now, she has now morphed in, from this really ineffectual character to a protector of children. And you're like, where, what happened in between? <laughs> yeah. Where do, how do we get here? Which, which I will say, as now being a parent, like, I... I will absolutely like know what what it feels like to want to I, I, like I know everybody feels it and everybody wants to protect kids, mm -hmm. but it's like man, it's like when you're a parent, like you feel it in a way that's a little different and, uh, well, and yeah. So I do so I do start to like her more as a character here. Well, it's the Mad Max approach to character development. Like, yeah, <laughs> if you have a, if you have a character you don't care about, give him a kid. They have to yeah. protect him now, or give him a dog. Suddenly they become likable. You know, which I feel like is what they did in X Men with Wolverine for a very long time too. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, with Logan or just Logan. in general. Yeah. yeah, Logan is like that, and then the original X Men series where he was with uh, who was it Rogue? Rogue, yeah, yeah. with Rogue. So. It was like, hey, Ro man, fucking Hugh Jackman's a shit. Let's give him. I forgot what Rogue's actress's name was. Anna Paquin. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot. Who is also in She's All That? So nah. <laughs> <laughs> bringing it all the way back to something else I watched this week. But uh, yeah, you can the grocery store. Also reminds me now of The Mist. Yes! I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Which I love The Mist. Like, yeah. I think it's a super underrated movie um, mm -hmm. from the 2000s. So, and I, and I think it's... I think the movie, for the most part, is kind of average. I, what I love most about it is the fucking ending. And mm -hmm. I think even the driving scene kind of reminds me of The Mist. Yeah. In that, um, you know, The Mist, they spend the entire time cooped up in the supermarket and by the end of it when they escape into a car and the f just driving through the mist like and you get the same thing in bird box is you feel the dread of every character mm -hmm. in that now you're driving in a world that you don't recognize anymore and anything that you could see or feel on the horizon is the most fucking terrifying thing in the world because it's like what do you do now like it's <laughs> like okay cool we can leave where do we go what is safe, you know? And like you said, in the in the mist, you don't know what's out there because you physically can't see. <laughs> and I'll admit this personally, like because I, I and and it won't make so much sense to everybody, but I like one of the reasons why I like kaiju movies so much and and stuff like Jurassic Park is because I swear I have an irrational, legitimate fear that one day I'm gonna live in a world where we will see some sort of giant monster. That'll <laughs> end all of us. And, and it's just one of those like irrational fears that this movie totally unlocks. <laughs> oh shit! It's Godzilla throwing giant space squids! <laughs> and I think it's this scene where we get kind of a, an idea of what the monsters could look like. And I think it's because you can't see the monsters... In this movie, you—that's what makes it. That's what's supposed to make it more terrifying. Is you're supposed to fill it in the blanks. We just know they're big as shit. Mm -hmm. We know they're big enough to be like play around on a mid-sized like or on an SUV, like a mid-sized SUV, right? Well, the other thing that the movie does as well later is it also presents evil human characters. Mm -hmm. So you. 
by the end of the movie, when you kind of think back on it, you're like, was that really some sort of supernatural monster? Or was it just these, like, crazy people? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which I, which it bring, makes it a little bit more realistic. And actually, yeah. now that I think about it, makes me appreciate and like that scene a whole hell of a lot more. Oh, yeah, the real monsters are men, just as always. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how impressive. Oh, wow. So original. The monster was me the whole time. I know that, bitch. But I'm kind of a sucker for that stuff. Which, like, I I will get off on a little tangent here. Have you seen the trailer for Jordan Peele's new movie, Us? Yes. And that movie, I just... Fuck, I, I just look so good. It looks terrifying. That I cannot freaking wait to see it. And Yeah, no one hates me more than me, baby. So. <laughs> <laughs> but in this and then also secretly, like I just really fucking love the trailer. Mm-hmm. Because I Got Five on it is one of my favorite songs. Oh, and in the history creepy. of everywhere. And, and now... <laughs> in the history of forever? <laughs> and like, you know, a lot of people on Twitter were like making jokes about how like, you know, now you have to add I Got Five on it to your Halloween playlist. Yeah, <laughs> for you do. 2019, so... Uh, I'm very much looking forward to that movie. And, uh, you know, I, 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 will, I will make fun of... Oh my god, this is really an allegory for this. But I'm a sucker for that shit. I actually really do like that shit, even though I pretend I don't sometimes. So, I'm a huge Cthulhu fan. So, I'd rather like to think it's a giant squid monster that's killing people. (laughs) Or driving people to kill people. Because there's something very Lovecraftian about this movie, right? Yeah, absolutely. The whole you see something and you can't comprehend it, so it makes you kill yourself. Yeah. Or it makes you go insane. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of get that vibe in that, in that scene where they're driving to the, to the supermarket. You can't, you never see what it is, but you're left to assume that whatever the fuck this monster is, it looks huge. Yeah. And like I said, I assume it's just a giant flying squid. Well, because, and, you know, why not? But yeah, that's what makes it, I guess, it's supposed to play on that fear of not being able to see the monster. And besides the, you know, besides that as well, like I think... It, it does feel very Lovecraftian. It also feels very Stephen King. Yeah, very and much. Uh, specifically the aspect of the story where it makes people want to kill themselves when they see this. Um, if you read the novel for it, you know they talk about the deadlights, which is mm-hmm. you know what Pennywise like shows to characters in the movie that like completely drives them insane. It's just like the idea of just seeing something that you can so not comprehend that it either puts you in a vegetative state or just kills you or makes you want to kill yourself. It's scary. It is scary. Uh, And uh, you know, it's not, again, it's one of those things that's not totally original, Yeah. but I do like that part of this movie. And this, you know, this leads us, unfortunately, um, Lil, wait, what? Lil Rel? Yeah, Lil Rel. He doesn't make it out of the, the, uh, he doesn't make it out of the supermarket. In a really, like... Man, he always plays a likable character. Yeah. He was the comic relief in... Get Out. In Get Out. Yeah. But he was still likable. Yeah. And even in this movie, it's like, you know, we talk about how, like, some of the characters get absolutely no, like, focus on them at all. It's not like he's a character that's really focused on, but he's so charismatic and so good mm-hmm. that he just kind of like steals it away a little bit. And, you know, where he, he, he talks about what he thinks could be going on outside and how he thinks it's demons. Yeah. And, and how he's like, you know, obsessed with the apocalypse and, mm-hmm. and how he wants to write a book and stuff like that. And it's just like, you give a character just enough and you get an actor that is, that is likable enough and good enough to just act the hell out of the scenes that he's in. And yeah. you have a character that's super memorable. 
And you know, because here, I think Lil Rel's the thing that, the thing about his character in this movie is that he's like the stand-in for the audience. Yeah. Because I'm like, who hasn't thought about what you're going to do in Apocalypse? You know, the mo- mm-hmm. one of the most common questions, oh, what would you do in a zombie apocalypse? Haha. Uh-huh. You know, and, you know, not everyone was a farm girl like Mallory. Yeah. Not everyone was a soldier that coming back from Iraq like Tom. Not everyone's a bitter alcoholic asshole like John Malkovich's character, you know. Yeah, but but know, I can relate to to Laurel. Like you know, I I worked in retail. Like yeah, like he I, was I'm, just an average Joe. Yeah. Like <laughs> like I do I do really obscure, stupid, embarrassing things in my free time that I wouldn't want to tell anybody about if the world was ending. <laughs> yeah, like I would never want people to know that I do a podcast talking about movies in my free time. <laughs> but you know, like. He's he's the most likable character because he's the most like us character. Yeah. And then, you know, he gets his his shining moment when he ends up sacrificing himself for the rest of the group when Fish Hands turns out to be crazy. Fish Hands. Fish Hands. <laughs> but this this um He also makes you care about a character that you don't ever really see until he comes in and he's already evil. Yeah. But because he loves Fish Hands, that's the reason why your heart breaks for fish hands. Yeah. He's like, no fish hands, man. <coughs> but he did bring up a really good point. And I think the 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 one thing I will compliment this movie on is subtlety. They're very subtle. It feels like a lot, not too many things are being flashed like huge lights, right? I mean, of course, there's some things where it was like, oh, that was telegraphed. But the subtlety, when he says that fish hands was never... 100% or he was never all right. He always had like something about him. Mm-hmm. Like he he mentioned something about mental illness. Yeah. And that ties in directly later on into the movie when we meet Gary, mm-hmm. who spoiler if you guys are watching this you already seen the movie, but Gary turns out to be a guy, another survivor that our group lets into their house. And then Gary turns out to be, you know, he tells this story about how him and a group of his co-workers were jumped and there were some people from an asylum that were forcing them to open their eyes and look into the monsters and they were killing themselves one by one. And he mentions how his buddy tackled one of the guys, he got away. And that and you know that's where our our main characters find him. They have no reason to believe not believe him. But you know, he confirms you know, something that's going on is that apparently if someone already has some sort of madness yeah. to them, if they have some sort of mental illness, if they're already slightly not there 100%, they get corrupted. They don't get, they don't get driven to the point of, you know, and I think that's, if there's an allegory to this movie, it's about madness, you know? It's that the you know those of us that are mad already to a certain extent will survive. Those of us that are not won't make it. Yeah, it's a bit of a zombie movie. In a little way. bit, yeah. yeah. I can totally see that because yeah, you later find out Gary is one of these you know insane people that he hasn't been you know corrupted in the sense that he killed himself. He was corrupted in the sense that now he he doesn't kill people. Well, except for one person. But he doesn't actively try to kill people. He's trying to, you know, show them, right? Show them, see, allow them to see the beauty that's going on. Quote, unquote. Um, 
Yeah, that I thought that was really that was really well how they brought up. Okay, it was super telegraphed once he joins the house that he's evil. Oh yeah, totally. By that yeah. point, you're like, this guy's fucking weird. Yeah. The but, moment he gets inside that house, I was just like, well, he's gonna fuck all of he's them. He's gonna kill everybody. Some not totally for the reason you would think. I mean, yes, it's very obvious in the movie itself. But then the other part of it is that he's also the subject of the second most popular meme that comes from this movie. <laughs> and that's the scene where he, like, you know, exposes one of the other characters to what's going on outside. And he forces her eyes open. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's, it's again, it's a fantastic meme. <laughs> oh, and the other thing that I forgot to bring up, which would be kind of stupid to not address it, is in the, what was it, we find out... In the supermarket scene, right? In the supermarket scene, uh, Sandra Bullock finds the the birds. So she finds these canaries in a birdcage. She carries them around. And when we see fish hands trying to break in, trying to kick the door in, oh yeah, we, that's when we notice the birds yep. starting to go crazy, right? Yep. So that's when the characters realize that birds can sense what's going on. That We don't know why they don't get driven mad by whatever these creatures are, but... That's our first hint. How can we, you know, fight against these things? So. Oh, sorry. I'm like fighting a burp. Like I feel a burp coming, but um, I don't want to burp I'm, in I'm, face. I was like fighting a cough, so I, I will definitely <laughs> be making cuts and edits. So, Gary ends up fucking the whole house up and ends up killing Olympia. Oh, <laughs> I forgot about Olympia. <laughs> wow, we are... Man, just... I'm telling you, there's, I mean, there's a lot of characters in the movie, but some of them are just given so little care and screen time mm-hmm. that you just don't care. Yeah, and that's exactly how I felt about a lot of the movie. I just didn't care. Yeah, like, at a certain point, you're just like, and Olivia's, who she is, is that she is the uh, a second pregnant woman who comes into mm-hmm. uh, the film, who I guess her husband is being deployed in another part of the world. Yeah. Um, in the armed forces, and she is pregnant, and she's alone, and she decides to start going, knocking on random doors, and ends up being accepted by our heroes of the film. And, um, you know, she's very sweet, naive, um, kind of like the opposite of, of Mallory's character, where Mallory is very logical and pragmatic and, you know, and kind of cold and distant, She's very naive, but she's also very warm and mm-hmm. loving, and her experience with expecting a child is very different from the experience that Mallory is having as well. And I like that this character is self-aware. She's self Olympia is self-aware to the point where she says, oh, you know, the way my family treated me and the way everyone's treated me, I think it spoiled me. And yeah. I don't think I'll ever be able to do what you do. Talking yeah. about uh, Mallory, what's well, it's 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 tough. And and what it does actually, what it did actually make me think about a little bit was you know last year when my wife and I were expecting, I mean not last year, wow, 2017 already, right? Yeah. Like and we're in 2019 now. But yeah, it, when when my wife was pregnant and we were going to those you know those uh, the labor classes and stuff like that mm-hmm. where they tell you what to do is. Um, you know, my wife and I are going through the experience together and we're doing the breathing exercises and you're learning about, you know, what labor is, is like and wh- how you should, you know, do all of that stuff. And and all I can remember thinking was, you know, God, this is just so much stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and like there's so much stuff to, to, to think about. And one of the mothers who was in that class, you know, was a single mother who, who who's, you know, who's 
co-parent wasn't there. And I just remember telling my wife and, you know, like after that class and, you know, going through all of it, I was just like, God, I was like, I'm just so grateful that we're going through this together because for the two of us, this feels like it's such a monumental, difficult thing to deal with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but you never know. It's like, you know, w- women are, you know, w- especially women who are mothers that they're, they're, they are capable of things that I will, as a, as a male will never understand. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like I said, it's one of those things about this movie that, that, that really, that really kind of hits you a little bit harder. Uh, it hits me a little bit harder because, you know, the experiences that I've had and stuff like that. And cause now you have a kid yeah. and again, so. Mad Max. You yep. don't like somebody, give him a kid. And but the thing about Olympia is she's important because she telegraphs something else that happens in the movie later on. So mm. when Gary go, ends up finally going crazy and does Gary things, oh my god, who didn't see it coming? He starts, you know, taking he starts ripping the newspapers off the off the windows so that people can see. He's letting the light yep. in, right? When, at this point, John Malkovich has gone full-on asshole mode, so they, the group has locked him in the garage, and Gary starts going, and he puts the birds away, so Gary puts the birds away, John Malkovich starts calling him out, asking him what the hell's going on, and then he opens the garage door, letting the light in, right? Yeah. So then Gary goes upstairs and he starts asking to see the kids and he wants to see because at this point Olympia and uh, Mallory both go into labor at the mm-hmm. same time mm-hmm. and they both give birth to kids. One, you know, Mallory gave birth to a boy and Olympia gave birth to a girl. So Gary becomes obsessed with seeing the kids. And then, you know, he starts talking he starts talking about how beautiful they are and stuff like that. And then he wants to show them something. And then he rips open the, the window again, starts pulling over the blinds. And the first person to see into the window is Olympia. Yeah. And she says it's not that bad. And then we see um we see Mallory try to pull try to pull, uh, you know, try to stop her. She's holding her, right? And she goes, just let me see your baby. Let me see your baby, right? Let me see your baby. Let me hold her for a minute. And Olympia, like, her eyes do the thing that everyone who sees the monsters does where they kind of, like, weird decay, change color, whatever you want to call it. But she, like, like, snaps out of it for a little bit and gives Sandra Bullock her baby right before she, like, full speed dives through the window killing herself which is another movie reference mm-hmm. and the reference to this one is the exorcist yeah. uh the ending of the exorcist you know for those who i will put a spoiler alert out for anybody who has not seen the exorcist <laughs> but um you know the movie uh the uh, the main character the exorcist or the main priest in the movie besides max von Sydow is uh, is Father Karras, who's played Father Damien Karras, who's played by uh, Jason Miller, and um, you know he at the end of the movie, once the exorcism actually doesn't work, because the exorcism doesn't take the demon out of the little girl, and the pre- and I and I I would love to do an exorcist movie, so I don't want to kind of get into it, but you know there's a scene where 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 uh, 
Damien, the main priest, goes up and, and just, you know, grabs the little girl and, and tells the de- and yells at the demon to just come into me, come into me. And it's a selfless act where, you know, where he decides to become possessed himself. And right at that moment is when you see his eyes change and he starts to get the Pazuzu demon face. Mm-hmm. And right, uh, right before he goes up to attack Linda Blair, he snaps out of it for one second, screams no, and... Throws himself out the window on the stairs uh, outside the house. So that is exactly what I thought about when I saw this. And, um, you know, and, and what's really cool about this is that they do set it up, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a scene where, where Olympia and Mallory are sitting together um, in a room and, and, you know, Olympia looks at her and, and I think she is aware that she is naive and she's yeah. not a survivor. And she, like, looks at Mallory and tells her, so when, when you know, if and when something happens to me, I want you to take care of my daughter. Yeah. So. And now that... That makes sense because later on in the movie, you like, you know, her interactions with the kids are both cold. And, you know, to the point where she doesn't give the kids names. They're boy and girl. But it makes so much more sense because you don't know who's her biological kid. Yeah. And, you know, she, she, it always felt like she was colder to the girl. It always felt like she treated the girl harsher and it was because you know maybe the the girl felt like she exhibited more of those olympia traits you know like she was a little bit more like you know like when tom was telling her a story she wanted to hear more about the story yeah you know when she's the one that wanted to play she's the one that asked questions she's the one that kind of like had to had to get put had to get checked by Mallory a little bit more, yeah. and I always felt like she was colder to towards the girl. And now you know at this scene it makes sense, right? You know after Olympia kills herself, Gary continues to be an asshole and he forces the other, I forgot uh, whoever, like he forces this other woman to kill herself. And at this point, John Malkovich, you know, comes up and he saves Mallory from Gary by. You know, pretty much yelling at Gary. He has a shotgun, has his eyes closed. So he doesn't know where Gary is. Mm-hmm. And he ends up shooting him. They tussle. They fall down the stairs. And then... Fucking... Oh, dude. I, I'm so... I don't know why I'm so afraid of scissors being used as knives. Uh. <laughs> One of my most irrational fears is being stabbed by scissors. <laughs> like, scissors specifically. I can get stabbed with uh, anything else. The old Halloween 4 ending, eh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, please stab me with anything other than scissors, because I've always imagined someone opening them up, and fuck that. Yeah. But yeah, John Malkovich... Which is funny, because we talked about the Jordan Peele movie, because it looks like Scissors is a very big part of that movie as well, so... <laughs> you better, better prepare that ass for us when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so scared. <laughs> so anyway. uh, But I do, what I do like about this part is that it does give John Malkovich like a moment of redemption at the end. Yeah. He does die, um, he doesn't do much, but it's like... But in the moment where he does come back in and, and, and shoot, you know, this other guy and... and fuck uh, you, Gary. Yeah, like fucking fuck boy Gary. Like, once he comes in and shoots him... You're you like, know, you're a real one, yeah, John Malkovich. Where you're just like really, you know, like, alright, fine. Uh, I, I will like you. Like, because there's... It, where I talk about Night of the Living Dead, like, the counterpart character in that movie never gets a scene like that. But so. again, it's a scene that we've come to expect so many times that the asshole turns out and he does one thing to stop being an asshole. 
And it's like, why couldn't she be this character the entire movie? Yeah. But, I mean... But uh, yeah, but you do kind of have to have a foil for Javante Tom, Rhodes' yeah. characters, uh, Tom. And, uh, you know, I, I don't feel like we talked about Tom enough uh, so far, but it's just he's such a welcome presence. Um, you discover by the time they're at the grocery store that he is very much have romantic feelings for Mallory and, uh, you know, is is willing to... He he seems like the character that's most game to live in the world that he's in. Mm-hmm. But he's also, despite the fact that, you know, he's seen some terrible things in his life, he's the most optimistic. Mm-hmm. And he seems like the most optimistic character, which... He's the most likable, and it felt like if the the writers wanted to make a well-developed character, and they wanted to make... Uh, they already wanted you to like somebody, they picked the right person. Yeah. And they cast him perfectly, too. Because I felt like he did really well. Um, Homewood. I know his name. No, I don't. The actor's name? Travante Rhodes. Travante Rhodes. Why do I keep messing that up? Which, you know, for anybody who hasn't seen it, who's listening to this podcast right now, I highly cannot recommend enough the movie Moonlight. And I'm not the first person to say it. It obviously won the Academy Award for Best Picture a few years ago. So, you know, it, it, but I, I cannot say enough for the actor himself. And I really want to see this guy in more movies because every movie that I've seen him in, he just carries... Just, even if in, this, in a movie like this, he doesn't have as much to work with, there's a bit of a depth to like how he portrays characters that you know makes you really care about the characters that he plays. Yeah, he is definitely the most likable. He is the best character, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, right, and he's a foil. It's funny you saying that he's a foil to John Malkovich as being a giant alcoholic prick. He's yeah, he's a foil to him, but he's also a foil to Mallory. Absolutely. You know, he like while Ma- like he's the perfect middle ground between Mallory and Olympia. Yeah. In that he's warm, he's paternal, but at the same time, he's protective yeah. and he's not afraid to, you know, do what needs to be done to protect the kids and what do what 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 needs to be done to survive. Yeah. But, you know, he had this really good line where it was, um, survival's not living. Yeah. And, you know, he has, you know, and that just makes me like him even more because these kids have nothing to do with him. Like, you know, he, he's not biologically related to either of them. Honestly, he didn't even know Mallory up until, mm-hmm. like, the problem happened. And still, he takes on that responsibility to be their caretaker and to be their father, you know? And the fact that he cares so much about him, you're just like, man, he is the best character. If anything terrible happens to him, I'm just going to die. <laughs> so, yeah. spoiler alert, that's called telegraphing, guys. <laughs> so, that, you know, unfortunately, and this kind of cuts, and this, bleh, you're going to have to cut this part out. But this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the the people that become corrupted by the aliens, right? Or aliens, sorry, by the monsters. Uh, This takes us into the where we see a pack of people, a pack of these survivors trying to go, just going around house to house trying to find more people, right? And this is kind of the epitome of Tom's arc, where we see him as a character, you know. When him and his family are cornered and these guys are trying to find them, 
you know, he sacrifices himself. He lets the kids and he lets Mallory get away. All the while, he stays behind to try to to try to save them, right? And for a guy that's blindfolded, he shoots some people pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's and so does Mallory for that. For oh that yeah. Book. And and you you what it does is it gives you. It allows you to feel that they've lived in this world for so long mm-hmm. that now they've started to learn how to do certain things without having that ability. Without to having see. sight, something you rely on so much. Yeah, you know, for for us anyway, you know. Um, and then that, and the, you see that again, where he sacrificed himself not just to stay behind, but he removes his blindfold so that he can actually protect his kids and he protect his family, right? And then they do this scene where one one of the people gets away and they're chasing after Mallory and the kids. And so Tom chases after him. But in order to do so, in order to get a clear shot, he has to he has to be able to see. Yeah. And then we get that scene where he looks up and his eyes get corrupted. And you know, you're thinking, damn, this is it. He's going to kill himself. This guy's going to catch up. Like I, that's what I was expecting to happen. At first, but then I was, but then you know the logical part mm-hmm. of my brain was like, nah, he's gonna fight it, and yeah, I mean he ends up fighting it. He ends up fight. He ends up resisting long enough to kill whoever was kill the guy that was chasing Mallory and the kids, but he ends up killing himself right after. And you know, like it's just a, it was a really powerful image, like mm-hmm. to see him. It was really, it was really powerful. It was very in line with the character. Um, it was a good arc. I think they, if, you know, you can only put a certain amount of good writing into one character, I think they put the right amount in the right character. Right. And, um, you know, after that, the, the, you kind of reach the climax of the movie, which is they're continuing to move into the boat mm-hmm. and, uh, the boat is going down, you know, these rocky river and it kind of like a mini waterfall type of situation where it capsizes and, um, Mallory is separated from the kids and um, she can't, she doesn't know where they are and because she doesn't have the luxury of sight, she has no idea if they're okay. And, uh, you know, thankfully they all make it onto land um, together and they kind of get separated after uh, Mallory has has walked both the kids. Um, You know, she trips and falls Mm -hmm. and when she falls, she kind of like passes out for a little bit. The kids are left alone and girl wanders off and... You know, uh, you're just like, all right, well, one of them's probably going to die because, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, you know, A, they could either both live and, and both out, neither outcome seems particularly like something you'd be shocked if happened, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, but she does, she, they do all get back together again and they end up walking far enough until they, you know, at a, arrive at a door mm-hmm. and, uh, once they arrive at this door, you know, they're, they're welcomed in by people and obviously they don't want to take their blindfolds off because Mm -hmm. they've already had the experience of, you know, even if people who say they're going to help you, like, you don't know if it's going to be those disembodied voices that cause you to kill yourself or if it's, you know, one of these crazy human beings that, you know, and, and that's, that's a good part of like, I guess the world building that the movie does Mm -hmm. is that now you're like, Oh God, it's going to be either one of those two things because that's what we've seen in the movies so far. And, um, thankfully where they end up at is actually, you know, a, a, a school for the blind. That was clever. And it is clever. And, you know, it's, it's also, 
you know, I guess a bit of a sweet ending if, if you could have one to something like this because, mm-hmm. you know, now you know that the kids are going to have a, uh, they'll have the ability to live around other kids and other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the people that they're around are blind, like, you know, like they live their lives without sight, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and it's one of those things that just reminds you of the resilience of of, of human beings in general, right? Blah, like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> the real monsters were us all along, and we can overcome anything. Now, I like the mist, because the mist had a fucking... It was not afraid to pull the trigger on a dark ending. Oh, yeah, no. the the, the And which is why, because this movie felt so the mist at some points... That's why I was like fully ready and expecting either Do one it. or both of Do the kids it. to die. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, you know, like even when they're on the boat and, you know, it looks like girl might be the one that has to be lookout. She for has a to minute. eat it. Yeah. <laughs> you're just, you're like, all right, well, go ahead. If you're going to do it, just fucking do it. <laughs> and it really tugs on your heartstrings when she's like, you know, when she has a flashback to like her giving. Uh, Olympia, the uh, oh yeah, the the Hello Kitty toy, mm-hmm. and then being like, no one's gonna look. So yeah, this is something we glossed over. We glossed over a lot in this movie because there's a lot of things that are yeah. kind of forgettable, unfortunately, in this movie. But uh, one of the one of the main things is as they're coming towards the end, towards the climax of the movie, there's this part where Olympia, I'm no, I'm sorry, not Olympia, uh, Mallory, boy and girl. They're, they're talking, they cover themselves with a blanket, and they're talking about what are they going to do because the rapids are coming up. Mm-hmm. So she says, you know, Mallory says that one of you is going to have to look and tell me where to go. Mm-hmm. And Boy first says he'll do it. And then she says, no, I'll decide. And then she's trying to figure out who she wants to do it, and you can totally tell she was gonna make, she was gonna make girl do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was so waiting for that. I was, I was ready for her to be like, "Oh, you goddamn bitch!" <laughs> I was really ready to hate her. And then she does the thing where she's like, "No, none of us are gonna look. Jesus, take the wheel." <laughs> Oh, God. Um, but one thing that was really... What I really liked about the climax scene in the in the, in the the forest is when Mallory and the kids are running, right? They're being attacked by all these monsters. And everyone's hearing a bunch of different things. So... Your senses are being assaulted. But just like... Oh, yeah. It's fucking bad. Yeah. It's like the noise and everything, right? But the only reason they know where they're supposed to go is because they hear chirping birds. Mm -hmm. So they know wherever the birds are is where they're going to be safe. So as they're running through the forest, falling, Mallory's eating shit all the time. (laughs) You know, they, they... It's like the monster is aware of this, so it starts, like, making the auditory hallucinations even stronger and louder and induces more panic, right? But I love the I love when Mallory like has that moment where she where she starts like screaming and says that you know stop taking my kids, don't take my kids, and when she finds boy, and then she's trying to find girl and then boy tells her tells Mallory oh she's afraid of you and so she starts like you know like panicking like no don't be afraid I'm sorry I'm sorry that I didn't let you be a kid I'm sorry I didn't let you have fun I'm sorry I didn't yeah. let you, I didn't I'm sorry I didn't let Tom finish his story right uh, because earlier Tom is telling the kids a story of what the world used to be like before they were born right man we glossed over a lot of important shit well it's you know it's we're a fucking 
one and a half hour podcast at most. Like, yeah. <laughs> you can't expect us to go over everything. Yeah, so so Tom ends up talking, or, you know, not Tom, sorry. Um, and, no, you know, I... she, she Ma, Mallory starts asking for forgiveness, and, you know, she really has that kind of redemptive moment. Um, and you can tell, like, finally that love she has for boy is both, you know, for girl as well. And it starts being more, um, you know, it's, it, it's, she actually should, like, she sheds off that cold exterior mm-hmm. and she starts caring about the kids. And to punctuate that, at the end of the movie, when, you know, they're asked what their names are, the little kids, and one of them says girl and the other one says boy. The boy said girl. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's. The the other person who I guess is someone Mallory knew at one point. In that the was old the world. doctor from the beginning. Oh wow! Yeah, I forgot. Wow. I forgot who she was too. <laughs> I was like, oh, "What?" My God. I had to look it up later. Yeah, gotcha. that was the doctor who did her sonogram. <laughs> and when she's asked, you know, when she finally decides to give them names, what names does she give to her children? Tom and Olympia. Which is, it is nice. It's a nice yeah. touch. Yeah. It's a nice touch because y- you can't expect a character. Like, I- I'd-, I'd probably be really annoyed if we ended up at a point where she ended up calling it something fucking... Biblical? St- <laughs> or, no, or just something stupid, right? Like, just making up a name. It's like, yeah. at this point, it, she-, she wasn't that kind of character yeah. that would have put a lot of thought into what their names were. So the fact that she actually, in the end... Names them after people, you know, that she's had affection for because mm-hmm. they were part of this experience with her. It, it is, it makes a lot of sense. And, like, when she names Olympia, she says, you're named after the sweetest girl I've ever met. And I was like, "Oh, so she did care about her, you Yeah. Know? And it also connects the children to these characters as well. Mm-hmm. Alright. So. so, that was Bird Box. The question is, do we like this movie? <laughs> okay. I'll start. I know that listening to this review, you might get the impression that I hated watching it. You know, I didn't hate it. I definitely say I like it. Um, I think it's worth watching. Uh, you know, especially if you're someone who hasn't seen all these movies. And hopefully, like, the movies that we have called out that are direct references in this movie. Seek those movies out, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think another common trope in modern horror movies is a lot of it is very referential to stuff that has come before as well. Yeah. Um, which is not a bad thing. It's just, um, I think to me, I think the only thing that I wasn't too crazy about is it just was a movie that felt like other movies I'd seen before. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, hey, it's on Netflix. If you have a Netflix subscription, it doesn't cost you any money to rent it. Yep. You don't have to go to a movie theater to see it. You know, you can just fire up your uh, Netflix-enabled device Mm-hmm. And go ahead and watch it. So I will say I like this movie. Um, I'm not crazy about it. Yeah. But yes, I do like this movie. And if you have the opportunity to check it out, or have already, you know, or 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 undecided about whether or not to see it, go ahead and see it. Um, I will say, God, 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 please <laughs> knock off this fucking bird box challenge. <laughs> <because> <laughs> You're going to end up hurting yourself and you're going to end up hurting other people that, you know, <laughs> that are around you. So, you know what the origin of the Bird Box Challenge was actually that Netflix Australia had a uh, Twitch, or they had like a, a partnership with uh, Twitch streamers. Oh, okay. And the Bird, Bo- the Bird Box Challenge was to have these gamers 
stream themselves playing a game blindfolded. Uh, so they were playing things like Pac-Man or like Super Mario, something, right? Something that they were familiar with. And being like, oh yeah, now watch Bird Box. Someone saw hashtag Bird Box Challenge and was like, oh, you mean like the movie? And they started grabbing their kids and running blindfolded. Uh, fucking <laughs> morons. Okay. Yeah. So that's the origin of the Bird Box Challenge. Gotcha. Please, we do not condone either one. <laughs> Um, so do I like this movie? Uh, if I had to pay money for it, I, well, I mean, technically mm. I did cause I paid my Netflix subscription, but if I had to, if someone was like, Hey, I want to go watch this in the movie theater, I probably wouldn't have gone watch it. Like, or if you would have gotten to watch it, you might've been a little disappointed. Yeah. Like if I had to actually pay money, like of a theater experience, I would have been very disappointed, yeah. but because it was on Netflix and because it was something I could do. You know, I can split it up, watch it, you know, one day after work and finish it the next day after work. Or I could do it on a lazy Saturday afternoon. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's totally, it, it's not bad. Okay, it's really weird. So because, I agree with Angel, I felt like I've seen parts of this movie in so many different movies. It's not a bad thing because it does, you know, offer some familiarity with it. But it is also a bad thing because it's chose to be unoriginal in certain points yeah like yeah there's some things i had telegraphed but i mean there's enough good in this movie to justify spending the two hours to watching it uh there's a lot of good acting like there's some oh yeah it, the, it's definitely the cast is stellar yeah do you think this movie would be as popular as it is if it had a theatrical release i don't think so i don't think so and and one of the things that i think that I was also going to talk to you about is, uh, do you think this is a good approach for Netflix as a movie studio oh, to totally. release these movies? Like, I think it, this you know, is. like this movie became so fucking popular because of the internet mm -hmm. and because of Twitter and social media and stuff like that, that they had like these ridiculous Nielsen ratings on it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you know, but the author made a, the author of Bird Box made a series, like a book series called like something bones, skin and bones or some shit. Okay. Uh, he made a trilogy of books that have already been picked up and are currently in production to be Netflix movies. Oh yeah, no. Well, like, once 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 you have one that's successful like this, you gotta strike the movies because it's a big success. Oh the yeah, movie totally. is a big success. Uh, yeah, you're, we're gonna get more of it. Um, so, uh, mm -hmm. oh yeah, no, sorry. Like what I was gonna say was, I feel that Netflix found a really good formula. If you're gonna make original content, throw a shit ton of money at getting good actors and a decent scriptwriter. And because the thing is, like, there is so much acting talent in this movie that if you're a fan of actors the way you and I are, we'd watch it just because it has certain people. In mm -hmm. it. You know what I'm saying? And also Netflix series are, are prestige television. Oh, totally. So I think it's definitely a good way for them to go. <laughs> <laughs> I need to edit this shit up. <laughs> you got to take a shit. No, dude, that's canon. You got rubble guns. <laughs> no. So I think it's a really good, uh, I think it's a really good approach. And I mean, we're still talking about it. People yeah. are still posting memes about it. Like they found a really good uh, formula here, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't be surprised if we see more. Okay, it's like I forgot which actor it was. I think it was William H Macy when he stopped making movies and started doing Shameless because mm -hmm. people were like, "How are you going to be an actor, like a good Hollywood actor, and go into television? That's a step down." But Shameless has gone what eight nine seasons mm -hmm. like it's it's a very critically acclaimed show. So I think Netflix found like a way to attract these actors, like big name actors. You get them to appear in your movies. People are gonna watch it just on that name, you know. Yeah. 
So I think they found a way to at least compete. All right. So that is our review and our episode on the uh, Netflix movie Bird Box. And uh, next week, we already have our episode planned out, which, of course, we mentioned in our first episode, is going to be a continuation of Halloween, where we're going to review the 2018 movie Halloween. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited to see this movie. Uh, Again, I'm a huge geek for Halloween. I'm glad we took this little break to talk about something completely different because if we would have done full-on Halloween movies, I swear to God, like, these would be five-hour episodes. Yep. And we also don't want to be typecasted as a strictly horror podcast, so please, 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 in our comment sections, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram, or if you have our our email, doweliikemoviespod at gmail.com. Again, that is doweliikemoviespod at gmail.com. Send us any suggestions, any other movies. We already had someone give us a really cool suggestion of doing a compare and contrast between Bird Box and A Quiet Place, which we do want to watch A Quiet Place. Yes. So please, uh, any suggestions you guys got, if you want to break the monotony of horror, also completely welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, again, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, We'll... Uh, please, 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 please continue to uh, download the show on your platform of choice, be it Spotify, uh, the Google Play Store, iTunes, or straight from the Podbean feed. Um, please leave us feedback on iTunes if you can. Uh, you know, reviews are very important to us to you know kind of get the word out about the show and uh, engage with us on social media and let us know you know what else you'd like us to review. Um, you know, this is a awesome opportunity for us to engage with our audience and uh and really make this the best show possible so uh thank i want to thank everybody for joining us and uh we'll talk to you guys next week when we go back to haddonfield for david gordon green's halloween later turds